Hey, welcome to the What on Earth Can We Do podcast, the show where we chat with environmental leaders from across Alberta to figure out what on earth we can do to take action against climate change and protect our environment. I'm your host, Bree, the Communications and Engagement Specialist at the Alberta Emerald Foundation. Today, I'm chatting with Corey Sabin from ReWaste about their unique approach to recycling plastic and how they're contributing to a circular economy that's changing the way we view it. Let's get into it. Corey, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Looking forward to digging into this. Yeah, me too. So let's let's get right into it. Can you start by sharing a bit about ReWaste and what your mission is? Sure. So a little bit about ReWaste. It started in my garage at the start of COVID-19, and it was a passion project uh, with a different perspective on how plastics could be managed. And our mission is to create the largest circular economy network in the world. You kind of touched on my next question a bit. It started, this started in your garage. So maybe let's dig a little bit more into what inspired you to start ReWaste. What was that light bulb moment for you? Yeah, so <clears throat> the light bulb moment was when I was laid off. I was previously working in the construction industry and being gone at least 40 hours per week, you're not spending hours at home. And so just by being laid off, I got to spend more time at home with my wife and three young kids. And I just realized there's so much plastic going into that recycling bin. And what actually happens with that plastic when it goes into the blue bag or the recycling bin? And so that thought just stayed with me and it slowly just developed into, I want to just start trying something. I want to see if I can do something here um, to the point where it was so small scale, such a passion project of using household appliances to just do the first iterations, um, such as a griddle that you make pancakes on and an iron that you iron your clothes with. I think my wife has heard those words more than anybody ever should hear the, that, those words <laughs> that amount of times. But literally, that's that's how it started in the garage. And it was just being able to spend time at home and seeing how much waste is generated by a family of five. Absolutely. There's even just my household of two seeing how much plastic waste and how much you you try to recycle and maybe it's not recyclable. Maybe we can dig into that a little bit. You noticed all of this plastic that was going in there and something about re-waste that we haven't gotten into yet, but we will, is the type of plastic that you that you upcycle, recycle, turn into new products. So can you tell me a little bit about the traditional model of recycling and what types of plastics usually get recycled? Sure. I think we need to understand the supply chain for the recycling industry. And um, I'll answer this with a long-winded way of answering this question. But if we look at the supply chain for the recycling market, right now, consumers will consume their products. It'll create packaging that goes in the blue bin. That will go to a mature recovery facility where most often there's a shaker screen that will get rid of all of the smaller items. And then the materials that pass over that, that will get sorted into commodity materials. Commodity materials are materials that have value and can be sold to a processor. So when a processor purchases bales of commodity materials, they'll pelletize that material to then sell to their market, which might be a manufacturer. 
And when we look at the types of commodity plastics, uh, there's three traditional commodity plastics that uh, are known, and it's PET, HDPE, and polypropylene. And when you make a bale for PET, HDPE, or polypropylene, they have to be consistent bales. So processors don't want commingled materials or any other packaging to contaminate that bale because then they're going to get paid less for it. And so when you look at the processors, they need a consistent feedstock. When you look at manufacturers that are doing um, extrusion or injection molding, that needs to be consistent feedstock. So when we look at the overall supply chain of the commodity markets, it needs to be very consistent material and materials that have a demand in the market. The low value materials, that's what we really focus on. And how can we do something? How can we find the right applications for materials that nobody really wants? That's a great overview of, of how that works and gives me a good understanding of of the different types of plastics and the non-commodity versus the commodity. So commodity is something that these purchasers and manufacturers want to use that's great for their products. And the non-commodity is something that isn't going to be as consistent and isn't going to be as useful for them in their final products. So maybe we can define the commodity. I know you mentioned polypropylene and some the other two types of commodity plastics. So could you just give a quick example of each of those three plastics in more of a layman's terms? For sure. So PET or type one, which has the chasing arrows with the number one in the middle, that would commonly be a water bottle. And HDPE, which has, it's a type two plastic, chasing arrows with the number two, uh, that would be like a shampoo bottle or a milk jug. And then polypropylene, that's type five, and that would be like a yogurt container, for example. Great. So those are commodity. So non-commodity plastics is what ReWaste focuses on. I'm going to ask some questions about diving into the recycling process and how that works, but maybe let's start with the non-commodity plastics that you utilize in your recycling process. Yeah. So with our recycling programs, we take one through seven materials. So we'll often get PETs or the commodity plastics, but they might just be too small or they might have a label. So then again, by having size restrictions or labels with tough adhesives, it also reduces how that material can be viewed as a commodity. But like a really good example is cannabis packaging. And that would have commodity plastics within that packaging. But just due to the size, due to the labels, nobody wants it. So that, that would be an example that, that we collect a lot of that packaging. Another example would be plastic pallet wrap or like red caution tape that, or yellow caution tape, red or yellow. But when a plastic is colored, it loses commodity value. So even though it can be pelletized and um, manufacturers can work with it, it often degrades the value that you would get for it. So we, we look at these plastics as if there's low value in them and nobody wants them, then how can we find the right application? We're not trying to make food grade packaging, but maybe we can make wall protection and turn it into plastic sheets. Maybe we can sort out specific plastics 
and create products that a business can use in their operation. Or maybe we can even create products that a business can generate revenues from. So it's really taking a holistic perspective of, yeah, this is plastic and there's no market for it. So how can we work together to make this work? Amazing. I love filling that niche in the market. And would you say that this is keeping those non-commodity plastics out of the landfill? For sure. Yeah. So that's why businesses work with us, um, is they might have a recycling program that's set up through a traditional waste hauler or disposal company, but it might have limitations on what materials can go in there. And um, that would be like the low value materials. So they're looking for better ways to manage these lower value materials and and we're often restricted in how we can manage them as well, but we continue to do R&D and just figure things out here. Um, and most recently, we've been doing really good tests to use plastics and turn it into a plastic rock to replace rock in traditional concrete mix designs. And so we'll go through um, a series of different applications for the plastics that we receive. And we work with the businesses to try to f- define what success looks like. Is it landfill diversion? Is it creating recycled products? Is it, you know, like telling the story in terms of the circular economy? But the last resort that we have is turning it into plastic rock and putting it into concrete. So you talked about wall protection, wall, wall coverings, um, rock to go into cement. So we've talked a little bit about the end products. Can you walk us through the recycling process and what that looks like for these non-commodity plastics? For sure. So the way that our programs start is we'll receive, we call them eco bins, and there's different sizes. So once we receive that material, then we'll go through uh, data analytics. So we're really interested in the data that's on every piece of plastic. And that might be who the producer of that plastic is. Um, So a lot of labels will have who the brand is, and then we'll pull that information out. Uh, We'll identify the type of plastic, we'll sort it by different plastic types. And then over on this side, that's where we identify the materials that we just can't use for those traditional manufacturing applications. That's how we have to think differently on those materials. And oftentimes it's plastic rock. But Um, Yeah, our process is fairly straightforward where we perform data analytics uh, and then we sort the materials and then we'll uh, granulate the material into plastic flake and that becomes the feedstock that we'll use for different manufacturing or the plastic rock. I have some questions here around environment and things like that and we touched on it a little bit, but do you have any numbers on how many pounds, tons, kilograms, whatever measurement you want to use of plastic, non-commodity plastic that you've kept out of landfills? So last year, we diverted 160,000 pounds or about 70 tons of material. Um, And that was in 2022. This year, we've been asked to manage that amount of material in a day or in a month. So Now we're starting to see when we can prove when we're proving this model and showing that this perspective of that we have of just finding different applications. Now bigger businesses are starting to see that 
there's options for their materials. It doesn't have to go to the landfill. They can now start to achieve more of their sustainability initiatives and landfill diversion goals. And so now we're ramping up in terms of, well, how do we service these materials? Because we have our equipment limitations. And so back to our mission of creating a circular economy network, that's where we are creating really good partnerships and relationships with existing recyclers and processors and manufacturers where they might have the existing infrastructure set up and we don't need to invest $5 million or $20 million in this equipment or this line because they already have it. So how can we work together to continue to manage this material and divert it from landfills? Amazing. I love the collaborative piece when it when it comes to just working together for for business reasons and for the betterment of of the environment at the end of the day because keeping keeping plastic out of landfills is important to reduce the the gases that are emitted when those plastics start to break down and the microplastics and everything else that's associated with plastics going into the landfill. So I love to see that collaboration. And you did touch on it a little bit in the last answer that you gave. But how does ReWaste fit into the concept of a circular economy? And what role do you see your business playing in safeguarding the environment through this process? That's a great question. And the role that we play is, it's actually quite circular. It's looking at the picture from a holistic point of view of we offer collection, processing, and manufacturing services where traditionally you'll work with a disposal company and they'll set up the collection program, they'll transfer materials, and that would be the end of the relationship. The disposal company would sort for the commodity materials and that would go to a processor. And then that's the end of that relationship. Then the processor, they have their end markets. So it's a very siloed industry where our perspective to achieve the circular economy is how can we bring businesses to participate in every aspect of the um, processing or handling of plastics? Because traditionally, they didn't have that opportunity. So how can we work with a business that just wants to divert their materials and let them know, like, you have a say in how your material is processed. You have a say in creating recycled products with your material that you guys can even introduce back into your business. So I think the role that we play is accomplishing circular economies within businesses, not in terms of, you know, like a worldly view of circular economy, but every business we work with can achieve a circular economy. I love that. Can you give me an example of one of the businesses that you work with where you've seen that circular economy happen? You take in a piece of their non-commodity material and then put it right back into their business. Absolutely. I'll start with our first contract that took us out of the garage. And it's in the cannabis industry and it's with a retailer called Value Buds. And from day one, the conversation was, if we divert this material set up the collection program, we can process it into plastic flakes. Once it's in flakes, can we manufacture something? Like what, what can you guys sell? And so, um, so we ended up creating these value buds, rolling trays, and on the back of it, it says made in Canada from 100% recycled cannabis packaging. 
So if you look at a circular economy, there's cannabis packaging, there's zero market for it right now. Nobody wants this. It's destined for landfills. And we said, well, if we have an efficient way to collect this material, and if you guys can sell it, sell a finished product, then we've achieved a circular economy. So we've, we've even taken it a step further in the cannabis industry. And with all of our collection, we've probably collected about 25,000 pounds of cannabis packaging since April of 2021. Wow. And... Now we've with these relationships and this network that we've created, we're now able to use our cannabis packaging flake as feedstock to make new cannabis packaging. So it's like how much more circular can that get? I have kind of a I have two last questions for you. One is bigger picture and then one is where people can find you and learn more and connect with you. But what are your visions and aspirations for rewaste in the future, both in terms of growth and its positive impact on the environment? So in terms of growth, I think what I've learned through this whole process is I just haven't been able to think big enough. And so that's where we redefine the mission of rewaste. And it's literally to create the largest circular network in the world. And so by working with these multinationals, we're often limited in terms of how we can only service Alberta or Ontario or just smaller regions where to work with these bigger companies, they need uh, national programs to cover Canada or the US or you know wherever they're operating. So my hope is that we're able to continue to grow to service the businesses that want to use our programs, whether that's in Canada, in the U.S., uh, and beyond. So it's trying to set up this process that can be duplicated uh, wherever we are. Um, and then on the environmental side, that's where uh, I, I just had this conversation the other day, but if we can divert this considered waste from landfills and start to view it as a as a resource that becomes valuable to the supply chain of creating recycled materials um, that's the environmental impact that i want to see where um, the government of canada released a, a report i think last year or the year before but they said there was an 8.6 billion dollar lost opportunity and that equates to all of the plastic that ends up in landfill um, every year. Wow. And it's about 3 million tons of plastic across Canada that ends up in landfills every year. And so the if we can start to see plastics as a resource instead of a waste, I think that's the environmental impact that I'd, I'd like to see re-waste having. Absolutely. Those are big numbers. Nine billion dollars and, and millions of pounds lost and into landfills. So I, I'm so excited to see Rewaste grow and achieve that mission. I'm, I'm really stoked to follow along with that process. Well, Corey, where can people learn more about Rewaste and connect with you and, and just learn more about the great work that you're doing? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can go to our website, rewaste.ca. Uh, we also have Instagram and um, Facebook and Twitter or X now. Um, but, uh, yeah, we, 
you can go to the website and find all the handles there and um and yeah reach out through our website too we love just all the questions that we get whether it's from municipal residents or just businesses just inquiring about different different ways of recycling amazing well Corey, thank you so much for joining me today for the podcast yeah thanks so much for having me um it was this was so fun thanks for listening to this week's episode if you'd like to learn more check out the resources in the show notes the what on earth can we do podcast is a program of the alberta emerald foundation a registered charity that showcases, inspires, and empowers Alberta's environmental achievements. To learn more about the Alberta Emerald Foundation, head to our website, emeraldfoundation.ca, or follow us on social media, at Alberta Emerald. A big thank you to our sponsors, Capital Power, Syncrude, the Government of Alberta, the City of Edmonton, and Alberta Beverage Container Recycling Corporation. See you next time.